All right, well, good morning, Faith Covenant Church. Oh, yeah. Good morning, Faith Covenant Church. What up, Faith Nation? You had to be on the trip with the high schoolers to appreciate that. It, you weren't, it was just weird. All right, so um, we are in uh, week eight of a series that we have entitled In This House We Believe. Uh, I feel like, oh my goodness, I just stumbled into week eight. How am I going to keep up? Not difficult at all. Each week can really stand independently from the others. And what we're doing in this series is we're just looking at this idea how in our culture today, th this, this statement, in this house we believe, is usually followed by some statements of belief. Uh, some, th th sometimes they're really serious. Sometimes they're really political. Sometimes they're polarizing. Oftentimes, people are going to talk to you about some of the most important things in life. Who you are as a human being, how you were meant to function, how life was designed to work. Is there a God? Who is he? What does he expect from us? Other times, though, you'll get something and it'll just be serious. And other times it'll just be silly. And frankly, I read through enough serious ones that are polarizing enough. I just like the silly ones. So let me share a silly example with you. In this house, we let it go because Akuna Matata and all the bare necessities will guide us to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust while we just keep swimming and whistle while we work. We believe in happy endings, and we know that life is always better under the sea because in this house, we believe in Disney. <laughs> now again, it's just nonsense, it's silly, it's fun, but in our culture today, you have in this house, we believe, and then you get the statement. And oftentimes, the, the, in this house, we believe, you know, statements, they come in the form of a graphic, a t-shirt, a yard sign, a, a, sign, a, a media post. But here's the deal. While the church hasn't necessarily put their in this house, we believe, statement out there in some kind of graphic, the church has one. It, the church has had one for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And what the creed has done for the church over the centuries the creed has provided the church with a summary of the central truths of the faith as found in the scriptures. And so all we're doing each week is we're just taking a slice of the pie and we're going, okay, what does the Bible have to say about this? You know, here's what the creed says, and the creed isn't authoritative in and of itself. Here's what the creed says. What does the Bible say in response to this? And as we continue today, we're going to get after a part of the creed that, depending on your background, can make you really uncomfortable or really excited. I think this part of the creed, especially for church people, elicits the greatest emotional response. It's the part of the creed that says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. And already, some of you watching online, some of you sitting in this room are beginning to sweat. You're like, what are they going to do? What are they going to say with this whole Catholic thing here, right? So, um, again, the creed is not authoritative. The creed points us to the authority of the scriptures. So we've, we've got three objectives today. We're going to just try and figure out, okay, how does, the, what, how does the Bible even define what the church is? When we say, I believe in the church, what are we talking about? Number two, does the Bible really teach that the church is holy and that it's Catholic? And then finally, when we talk about the communion of saints, like what, what, what is this even about from a biblical perspective? What does it mean that we believe in the communion of saints? 
So we'll just go after them one at a time. We'll dive into the scriptures, see what they say. And hopefully when we walk out, you won't be too mad at me. All right? So let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, just thank you for just a great week with a number of our students as Pastor Devin and his team uh, led them in a backpacking trip. Just thank you for safety and just for community and just an opportunity for students and leaders alike to be challenged and stretched in new ways and to discover that they could do more than they thought. Thank you for the community that was born out of that time together. Fathers, we just explore what it is to be the church and what it is to be a community together. I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us Open our minds to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, objective number one. What's the church? Try and answer that question. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, go to Matthew chapter 16 and look to the words of Jesus. And if you got a Bible, you can open it up. If you have a device, you can pull it up. It'll, it'll be up on the screens. But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus introduces us to the idea of church. He uses the word for the first time in the New Testament. And I would argue that not only does he introduce us to this idea of the church, but he defines for us over the course of this conversation what the church is. So, Matthew 16, Jesus is in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And he asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, Son of Man is Jesus' favorite designation for himself. So he's basically saying to his closest followers, hey, what's the word out there on the street? What are people saying about who I am? And his disciples answer. They, they say to him, you know, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. So they're like, Jesus, hey, there are all kinds of options out there about who people think you are. The good news is right now, everything's flattering. Jesus from here makes the conversation a little bit more personal. He says to them, what about you? Who do you say that I am? N never mind what everybody else is saying. Never mind what your friends are saying, what you're reading on social, what the educational institutions are trying to tell you. Who do you say that I am? Now, I would argue there is no more important question for somebody to answer than this one. Who do we believe Jesus to be? Now, one of his followers, Simon, who's good for this, he pipes up and he's got an answer. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, there is so much going on here in what Simon has just said. He's saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You are the one who we have prayed for, hoped for, waited for for centuries to bring redemption to God's people. Not only so, but you're the son of the living God. God the, himself, the, the maker of heaven and earth. You are his son here among us. Now that's a huge, bold declaration on Simon's part. And so Jesus responds. He says to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Simon, you didn't come up with this on your own. Instead, it was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. 
And then next, Jesus continues, and as Jesus does, he introduces us to the idea of the church, and he defines it for us. Jesus says next, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. We're not going to call you Simon anymore. I'm going to change your name. This is a kind of an Old Testament principle where God changes your name. He changes your life. He's like, listen, you are now Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. Peter, on the rock, on the foundation, on the bedrock of the declaration you have just made, I am going to build my church. Now, this word that we have translated as church, this is the Greek word ekklesia. And it's a compound word. You have ek, which means the, um, uh, out of, and you have kaleo, which means to call. So literally, the church is the called out ones. The called out ones. And here's the thing. Even though this is the very first time that Jesus uses the term church in the New Testament, this is not a term his disciples would have been unfamiliar with. No. You have the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. And ekklesia was the word that is used regularly in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to describe the calling together, the assembly of God's people, the Israelites. Not only so, but in the Greek culture of the day, Ecclesia was a word regularly used by non-Jewish people, by Greek people, to describe a gathering of citizens to discuss matters of the state. So when it comes to defining what is the church, linguistically, the church is a gathering or an assembly of people. And historically, for Jesus' disciples, the church would have been a gathering or an assembly of God's called out people. But Jesus here, he redefines who the church is. He redefines who is in that assembly of God's people. For Jesus, no longer is it the Israelites who make up the church. Now it is those who have answered the question that he posed the way that Peter did. For Jesus, the church is the calling. It is an assembly of the called out ones who have decided that he is Messiah and Son of God. For Jesus, the church isn't a building. It's not bricks and mortar. It is, it is the gathering of people who have decided, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Savior of my soul. Jesus, you are the Son of God. You have authority over my life as, as the Son of God, of maker in heaven and earth, come to dwell among us. And here's the thing. That is how the word church is used throughout the New Testament. You are hard-pressed to find an example of, of anything that even implies in the New Testament that the church is some kind of building. But again and again and again and again and again, you see the church is as a, it's a term used to describe the calling, the, the gathering of God's called-out people who have decided Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. So, for objective number one, Jesus defines for us what the church is. But this comes with some implications. You see, if Jesus is right, and when we're talking about the church, probably a good idea to assume Jesus is right, because it's his church, all right? If Jesus is right, here's part of what this means. It means anybody could come to Faith Coming to Church on a Sunday morning. And we want anybody to come to Faith Coming to Church on a Sunday morning. 
And anybody could you know, sign up and be part of a small group and learn and grow. And anybody can serve in a number of the ministries that happen here on a Sunday morning. Anybody could say, hey, that's my church. Faith is my church. But in order to be part of Jesus' church, you need to be somebody who answers the question the way that Peter did. Because Jesus limits his church to the people of declaration. Jesus limits his church to those who answer the question, who do you say that I am? To those who say, you are the Messiah and the Son of God. See, that's in part why. In order to be a member here at Faith, anybody can come. Anybody can participate. But in order to be a member here at Faith, you have to be somebody who answers that question the way that Peter did. Because we are not just a club for nice people. It's not what we're here for. We're not just a bunch of do-gooders. No, no. We're not the people of self-improvement. No. We are part of Jesus' church. We are the people of declaration. It's in part why if you want to serve in a leadership role here at Faith, you, you, have, to, you have to answer that question the way that Peter did. Because again, we are not just a bunch of do-gooders trying to leave the world a better place. We are part of Jesus' church. We are the people of declaration. See, Jesus says, hey, I, I'm building my church. The gates of hell will not overcome. But according to Jesus, the church is the called out ones. The ones who, who believe he is Messiah and Son of God. So there's objective number one. What's the church? Objective number two, is that church really holy and Catholic? Now, to help us answer this question, we're going to flip over in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, a passage that I suspect as Peter is writing it, he had in mind that conversation that he had with Jesus in Matthew 16. But Peter writes to the church, and, and he, as he does, he describes to them who they are as the people of declaration. He says, as you come to him, the living stones, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, see I lay, in, uh, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So as Peter begins here, he's telling the, the, the people of the Declaration who they are. And he's like, listen, you, you, you are a people who have come to Jesus. You, you are a people who are being formed into a community that centers around Jesus. And, and you are people who are trusting in that same Jesus to save you from shame. And then as Peter continues, he, he employs contrast now. He'll say this next. He'll say, now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which also they were destined for. 
Peter's like, hey, you got some of you who have said, yeah, Jesus is Messiah and the Son of God. And you have other folks who who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They don't think they need a Savior. They're not interested in God's authority. They said no. And then Jesus, or excuse me, Peter comes back and, and continues to tell the church about who they are. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, it's in this this last part of this larger section that we've looked at here that I want to get after these ideas that the church is holy and Catholic. And we'll start with the Catholic thing, because since I brought that up, there's been anxiety in the pit of some of your stomachs, right? Okay, so Catholic. All right, depending on how you grew up, you feel differently about this. Like if you grew up Baptist or traumatized Catholic, let me see my Baptist and traumatized Catholics, right? Okay, yeah, you know who you are, right? You hear this and you're like, or you hear this and you're like, that's what they believe in here. I'm glad this is my first and last week, you know, one and done, you know, Two trips and one to that church, you know? In fact, for you, because like once a quarter, we will will recite the Apostles' Creed at the end of service. You cheat. We get to that part of the creed, and you're, you're like, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting. Amen. You're like, I don't believe that mess, and I ain't confessing it, and you can't make me, right? It's how you roll, all right? Others of you, though, You grew up Catholic, and it was a positive experience for you. And I don't know why you're online watching or sitting in a a Protestant church today, but you are. And so when we get to that part of the the, the Apostles' Creed, you're all like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh, told you so. There it is, right there, Mm mm-hmm, right? Here's what we need to understand. In the language of the Creed, Catholic is not a reference to some kind of denominational affiliation. When the creed was written, you didn't have Catholic versus Protestant. And you wouldn't for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. When when the creed uses the word Catholic, it isn't trying to capture some idea of, of, of a denominational distinction. It is trying to capture the idea of one church, a universal church. Just one, which I would contend, again, is a biblical idea. Again, Peter's you know, writing to the church, and he's talking to them about who they are, and, and he's describing to them who they are as the church. But when you flip the page over to 1 Peter, and you see who he addresses as the church, it's kind of interesting. Chapter 1, Peter will start off his letter this way. He'll say, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect. God's exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Gang, that's a lot of geographic ground there. He's like, I'm talking to church all over the place. See, Peter remembered. Jesus said, I will build my church. Not my churches. 
I will build my church singular. Jesus said, if you are people of the declaration, you're part of my church. If you have confessed that I am Messiah and Son of God, you are part of my church. Now, sure, are there individual congregations here, there, you know, it's all over this geographic? Absolutely. But together they make up the people of declaration. One church, a universal church, a single church. When the creed says, I believe in the Catholic church, it is simply recognizing that anyone, past, present, or future, who has embraced Jesus as Messiah and Son of God, that they are part of the one church, Jesus' church. And then the creed has the audacity to say that that church is holy. Which again, depending on your background, can make you cringe or make you cynical. Because some people are like, holy? Pfft, holier than thou maybe, but I don't know about holy, right? But again, this idea that the church is holy, it's a biblical concept. M remember Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, to, to appreciate what, what the New Testament means when it says that the church is holy, it's helpful to understand that really that term gets used of the church in three primary ways throughout the New Testament. So it's, it's used to describe who, who the church is as God's chosen called out people, right? Other times it's used to describe how the church has been cleansed of its sins. Like who the church is positionally, how God sees the church. And then other times it's used to describe how as members of the church, we are meant to progressively live out in our lives, like that our lives here on earth would reflect who God is and his person in heaven. It's, so you have, this is who you are positionally, and this is who you are meant to be progressively in your practice. And the, the scriptures will use holy to describe the church in all three ways. And what's fascinating is in the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul uses the term holy in all three ways in reference to the church there in Colossia. So like at the beginning of his letter, he'll say that he's writing to God's holy people in Colossia. Now, Paul starts all kinds of his letters off this way. And he's simply letting the, the, the congregation that he's writing to know, hey, you are chosen by God and you're there for a purpose. It's why Peter will say that you are God's chosen people. As a congregation, God wanted you as part of his family and he picked you. But he has a purpose for you. Peter will point out that you're here to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Again, as Jesus' church, we are not a club for nice people. We have a purpose. It's why you will hear us say regularly, Faith Covenant Church exists to help people know, grow, or excuse me, connect, grow, and serve. Connect, grow, and serve. Connect, grow, and serve. We want to help people connect to God in a relationship for the first time. We want to help them grow to become more like Jesus. We want to help them serve God in their church and in their world. That's what it means for us to be holy. We have a purpose. We are called by God to this thing. But then Paul will use it not only to describe the church's purpose, but he'll also use it to describe the church's position. Later on, he'll say, but now he has reconciled you, he being the Father. Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 
Paul's saying, hey, when God looks at you, the church, he sees no blemish. He hears no accusation. He sees you as holy and free from sin. Now, look around this room. How many of the people in this room are that in practice? Go ahead and point out the messed up person next to you. No. <laughs> See, but this is who we are positionally. Through the death of Jesus, his righteousness is applied to us. And when God looks at you as his church, that's what he sees. A people forgiven of their sins. A people who, who their blemishes have been made clean. Any accusation made against them has been answered. This is who you are as God's holy church positionally. But then Paul uses this word with regards to practice as well. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. It's not okay for me to be like, yep, Jesus Messiah, Son of God, I'm in. And I'm all about being forgiven and, and cleansed and you know, all the accusations are answered, but I'm not going to change anything about my life. I'm just going to keep on living that way. No. No. Part of what it is to be the church is to be holy. To have who we are positionally, progressively lived out into our lives. Our position becomes practice. And it takes time. And we work to get there. Positionally, positionally, we are God's special possession. Positionally, we are a people who had no claim on God, and now we are his people. And we seek now to live that out in our practice and thank God for his mercy. Because your neighbor doesn't always get that right while you do. <laughs> right? Let's be honest. For the history of the church... The church again and again and again has shown its need for God's mercy as we struggle to live out practically who we are positionally. But this is what it means for the church to be holy. So according to the creed, we are a holy Catholic church. And then with this church, you have the communion of saints. And the creed is simply pointing out to us that the church is meant to be communal in its very nature. Which again, is a biblical concept. As, as Peter was describing to the church who they are, he uses communal terms. He says, you are a priesthood, plural. You are a people. You are a nation. See, Part of what it means to be the church is to live in community, not in isolation. When, when I embrace Jesus as Messiah and Son of God, I do so in the context of community with the church, not in isolation from the church. Now, there are a number of ways we could illustrate this. We're going to do so through something called the one another's. And the one another's are just scattered throughout the New Testament. You find these directives to the church, to, to people who are, have said, hey, Jesus is Messiah and Son of God, about how they are to live with one another. It's not that tricky, right? And they're all over the place. It's like, hey, this is, as the church, this is how you're going to interact with one another. 
They're all throughout the New Testament. There's about 59 of them, depending on how you do the counting. And we're going to read through every one of them. As we do, here's what I want to challenge you to do, and it won't take that long. I want to challenge you to ask yourself, is it really possible for me, as somebody who's trying to follow Jesus, as somebody who's placed my life under the authority of the directors of the New Testament, can I live out the one another's with any sense of consistency and do so in isolation from the church? So here we go. Love one another. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Commit to one another. Build trust with one another. Now we're only a third of the way through. Can I really live into the directives that the New Testament has given me as a follower of Jesus and do this in isolation? If church is simply I roll in about second or third song in and then I blow out right after the last song, how how am I going to do this? I have to have some other context for community. We'll keep going. Be devoted to one another. Be patient with one another. Be interested in one another. Be accountable to one another. Confess to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Do not pass judgment on one another. Do not slander one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on towards good deeds. Meet with one another, agree with one another, be concerned for one another, be humble to one another, be compassionate to one another. Now again, how can I live into this in isolation? For me, church is just, I get up on Sunday morning, I make my coffee, I get a bagel, I plop down on the couch on my jammies, and there we are. How, how, if that, How do I live into this? There has to be another context for community. We'll wrap them up. Do not be angry with one another. (laughs) Do not lie to one another. As you fill out your connection card today, do not grumble to one another. (laughs) Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Be of the same mind to one another, comfort one another, be kind to one another, live in peace with one another, carry one another's burdens. Again, if I'm I'm blowing in, blowing out, if it's just a digital experience, how in the world do I live into the directives the New Testament has given me as 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 a part of the people of declaration? I I would contend you, you can't. See, this is in part why Pastor James and his team work so hard to try and get people connected. It's why, why, why they're forever nagging you, hey, serve in a ministry here of faith. It's not just they're trying to get you to do work for them, all right? It's because they recognize when you're on a team with other people, there's an opportunity for this to happen. It's one of the reasons why Pastor James works so hard, he, he and his team, to make sure we do two church-wide series every year, why they're, he's constantly trying to start new small groups and trying, he, he and his team are trying to get people into a small group. 
Because when you are doing small group with people on a regular basis, there's a tremendous opportunity to live this out. Now, this said, I get it. Some of you who are watching online right now, I know physically you cannot be present here on Sunday. Physically, it is impossible for you to be present in a small group. I get that. I know. For others of you watching online, this is a matter of convenience. And for the sake of convenience, you are sacrificing being obedient to the call of the New Testament on your life as a member of Jesus' church. That's not okay. That needs to change. Convenience should never come before following Jesus. So, so, again, some of you, I get it. I know, I speak with you regularly. I know you physically can't be present. And again, that's why James and his team has worked so hard to create digital small groups and digital serving options for those folks. Some of you, you're watching, and you're watching from, a, you're out of state, you're hundreds of miles away, and I love that you're online, I love that you're watching. But you need a physical community where you are to live into these things, because the church is meant to be communal. And then some of us who are in the room today, for us, churches, it is just a Sunday affair. We blow in, we blow out, and that's all it is. And we'll say, well, I, I live too far away. It's just, it's just not convenient. If you live too far away to be communal with church, I would encourage you to find a church closer to home so that you can do it right. If you're going to be here, I love that you're here. Do, if you live far away, you chose to come here. Do the work that's necessary to be part of the community. Or if you're like, well, there's just so much going on in our lives, we're just so busy. I would challenge you to prioritize your church higher in your life than you are right now. Because by its very nature, the church is meant to be communal. And we cannot, we cannot honor the directives that we have been called to as the community of Jesus followers without being in community with one another. It just can't be done. So, in this house, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. Would you stand with me, church? Before we continue this morning, we're going to pray. And if today, as we've been having this conversation about the church, if you've kind of put some pieces together and you've realized, you know what? Yeah, this is my church, but I'm not part of Jesus' church. And you'd like that to change? I'd invite you to pray with me. As, as Paul said, through the death of Jesus, we can be reconciled. We can be forgiven. The blemishes can be clean. The accusations can be answered. And so, if today you're ready to embrace Jesus' Messiah, Savior of your soul, Today, you're ready to place your life under the authority of the Son of God. I want to invite you to pray with me, and then we'll continue in worship. Father, today, we just, those of us who are part of your church, just help us, please, to see what it looks like for us to live more fully into that. Father, thank you so much for so many here 
who just do that so well. Help us, please, to be your church. And Father, for some of us here today in the room, some of us watching online, we want to we change the relationship. We want to redefine what church is for us. We want to be part of your church. And so we confess we are broken. We have sinned. We need a Savior. We need a Messiah. We believe that you lived the life we should have lived. That you died to make right what we made wrong. That you are risen from the dead. In this moment, we put our faith and our trust in you. And we just want to surrender our lives to you as we follow. It's in your name we pray. Amen.